Hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team, and just want to welcome you wherever you have gathered and assembled, whether you're on your device watching Rockbridge online or Facebook or YouTube, or you're one in one of our six locations as we're one church in multiple locations. Hey, you're here, here for part three of a series that we kicked off a few weeks ago called Something's Missing. And we've just been talking about the fact that if our lives are not connected to other people in community, and if we don't don't have commitments that are deep and radical to other people, something's going to be missing. Today, we're going to talk about something else that could be missing in this form of connection and committed community, connected and committed relationships. And we're going to land with some questions. And, I, and I'm excited because these questions have the ability to absolutely improve any relationship that you're a part of. And I think these questions have the capacity to help our church, Rockbridge Community Church, one church, multiple locations, take a big step forward to be in the kind of church that God wants us to be and, and be in the kind of church that brings glory to the name of Christ. So let's get ready, let's get rolling. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to open it up, turn it on, or you can follow along with me here in just a few moments as we'll be in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians will be in chapter five a little bit <clears throat> and chapter six, um, some as well. So here's the question I want us to wrestle with for just a second. How big is your they? Now, now here's what I mean. I, I've discovered that we've all got a they, and, and the they is, is the people or the person that you kind of, you have disagreements with, you don't like. Uh, they could be the government. They could be the opposite party. They could be your wife. They could be someone in your small group. They could be you know, someone that you work with. And, and what happens to us a lot of times is if you just did an audit or an inventory of our conversations, you did an audit or an inventory of where our mental energy goes, it's focused on they. And it, and it would translate like this, can you believe what they did? Can you believe how they posted that thing on their social media? Can you believe what they said about me? Can you believe how they handled it? I would not have handled it that way. Can you believe how they are acting? Can you believe what they said, what they posted, what they texted? And if you just did an audit and, and just said, hey, ar around the dinner table or in, in my text messages to my friends, how much energy, how much attention, how much focus does they get for you? And like, if you're like me and you're like an introvert and you're like, hey, I don't talk about other people. I don't, I don't, how many, how many, much of your thoughts go to they, they. And so here's, the, here's, the, here's what this illustrates. Cause I think all of us would say, you know what, Matt, I, I, I probably spend more time than I should uh, focused on thinking about with giving energy to things I don't like or things that I, I, I dispute that other people have done, are doing, or might do. And for some of us, th this shows up, the bigness of the they shows up in the negative emotions, the, the anger, the bitterness, <clears throat> the suspicion that we have toward other people. And, and so, you know, we may not be talking about it, but we're feeling they. So how big is your they? And then let's just all agree. If we're not careful, differences, disputes, and disagreements can dominate our mental energy, our emotional energy, and, and, and then they can sort of dictate the pace and the direction of our relationships. <clears throat> and that, this can be in church, this can be in our nation, in our politics, it can be on a team, in an organization, 
It can be in around the dinner table. It can even be in our marriages that differences, disputes, and disagreements can dominate. Now, now here's the concern, right, that, that I just want to share. Increasingly in our culture, this is seen as sort of normal. This is seen as sort of just the way it is and the way you have to work because if we don't focus on this, we're not going to win and we're in it to win it, baby. If we don't focus on this, then nobody's gonna protect me and my deal and my interests and my agenda. Nobody's gonna defend me. Nobody's gonna look out for me. And so differences, disputes, and disagreements can just come to dominate, and we just think that's just normal. That's how people talk to each other on social media. That's how the news media talks about other people and other organizations, and they, that's how, you know, that's just how we have to work things out in my house because if I don't do this stuff, if I don't focus on this stuff, then I'm I'm not going to get my way. And what I'm going to ask is, is, hey, maybe something's missing. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a different way. Because if we're not careful, this just becomes normal. And then we get a warning about this in Galatians 5.15. And we're going to look at what Paul warns us about and then work backwards to, to the solution. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, in other words, if your thought energy, if your emotional energy, if your conversation is about just kind of how you're against and how you're you know, focused on the disagreement, the dispute, the everything, then if you bite and devour another, watch out, Paul says. That's, that's a warning, that's a phrase of warning, or you will be consumed by one another. In other words, your they will just consume your energy, will consume your emotions, will set the pace and the trajectory of your relational capacity. So he says, hey, watch out and let's not fall into that. Let's not go forward in that. This does not have to be normal. This does not have to dominate you. This doesn't have to dictate whether you have a good day or a bad day. This doesn't have to dictate your marriage, your church, your, your political conversations. So wouldn't we all though, just, just call time out. And when we think about our culture, when we think about the world we're living in today, when we think about what's wrong, a lot of it is, God, we're just biting and devouring one another. We're consumed with each other, but we're not consumed with each other about the good stuff. We're consumed with each other about what? Differences, disputes, and disagreements. And they just dominate. And something's missing if this is sort of what we're known for, if this is sort of what we're consumed with. And so Paul warns us at the end, but he gives us the solution or the better way or, or, or what could be missing in the first couple of verses in this paragraph in which he's talking. So here's what he says in verse 13. He says, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Now, this is a very American word, this is a word we all love because we want to be free. We said this a couple of weeks ago. We want to be free to do what we want when we want and have enough money to pay for it. And you and I, you better not get in the way of it, right? So we were called to be free and we're like, yes, amen. But then he says, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So, so he, 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 he guardrails or he, uh, our freedom, and he says, look, the, the goal here for the Christ follower, the goal of the church, the goal of Christians, it, it, the goal in your marriage, the goal in our culture is not to just be free to do what you want when you want and have enough money for it and, and get mad at anybody who keeps you from it. That, that's not the goal. There's a different way. And he says your freedom, when he says flesh, 
He means the me monster, the me monster that, that lives inside of all of us, that wants to focus on me, that wants to focus on mine, that wants to focus on my deal, right? He says, look, we're not gonna take this freedom that we have in Christ, this freedom that we have because of the gospel, because of Jesus's death and burial and resurrection that he adopts us and puts us in his family. We're not gonna use that freedom and spend it on me. But we're going to, what are we gonna do? Serve one another, not bite and devour. So this is the alternative, right? We've got to, we need an alternative to bite and devour. The alternative is we're gonna serve one another through love. And then he says something even deeper and broader and it's powerful. He says, for the whole law. Now, if a Jewish person in the first century read that phrase, they would go back to the 10 Commandments, they would go back to Moses, they would go back to Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all of that. The whole law is fulfilled, is culminated, climaxes in one statement, one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's say it again, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so Paul is saying, if you don't do this, if you don't put the, your best self, your best energy, your best focus here, if you don't do this, then you're gonna do this. You're gonna bite and devour your differences, disputes, and disagreements, because we've all got them, and we'll all continue to have them, because we're sinners, and we do have differences, right? Then that's just gonna dominate. But something's missing if we don't land on serve one another through love, if we don't land on understanding that the whole kit and caboodle of the law of Christianity is summarized in love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here is how Paul uses love in the New Testament. He, he brings it up about 115 times. A, a little more than 20 times, he's talking about God's love for us, expressed in Jesus, expressed in Jesus dying for us and instead of us for our sins, so we do not have to experience the wrath of God, we can rather receive the love of God. Five times, about five times, it's our love back to God, because God first loved us, we should love him. But almost 90 of the 115 references or uses that Paul has of love in the New Testament is referring to our love for one another. Almost 90 of 115, that's amazing. That, that almost seems and feels disproportionate. So I think the application for us is, is gonna come in the form of a question, right? And, and the question is not, am I getting what I want, when I want it, having enough money to pay for it, and if you're in my way, then suddenly we have a disagreement, a dispute, and a difference, and that's gonna dominate because I gotta get that resolved so I can get back to getting what I want, when I want it, and having enough money to pay for it. The, dominant, the, the question that I would pose then is, we need to be focused on getting this question. Are we getting love right? <clears throat> Are we getting love right? Let's, let's put that right now on top of our marriages. Let's put that right now in, inside our small groups. Let, let's put that right now in, in our church. Let, let's say someone outside the church was looking at the church, whether it's Rockbridge Community Church or the Big C Church in America, and they said, you know, they said, man, is the church getting love right? 
Well, how, how would they answer that question? So, so this question, let's just put that and say, okay, we know we probably give too much attention to our differences, our disputes and disagreements. We know we do that. We know there's a they out there that we're mad at, we're frustrated by, we're suspicious of, we, we, we know that. But let's just put this question in our minds and in our hearts and, and lay it on top of our, our critical relationships, our key relationships, let's lay it on top of the church. Because if we're not asking this question, something's gonna be missing. And what goes in its place is the domination of differences and disputes and disagreements and we're consumed with each other. We're biting and devouring one another. Now, there's two dangers for us though in, in asking this question in our 21st century culture, okay? The, the first danger is this. Our culture tends to define love as freedom. You catch that, right? Our culture tends to define love as freedom. Freedom is, hey, we're just gonna let you do what you want, when you want it, the way you want it, and we, and we promise we're not gonna get in the way. And, and, and love is, don't tell anybody what to do. You know, you do you, I do me, and that's love, baby. Choose love, not hate, right? You know, love is love, right? And, and so the, the culture has a sort of different definition than maybe what Christianity has. And I just wanna get to the depths of how Christianity gets to love and how Christianity shows us, empowers us, gives us an example of how to get love right, okay? So, so Paul goes back, I'm gonna go backwards again in Galatians to verse six. So Paul talks about something that happens when we put our faith in Christ. And so he says, when we put our faith in Jesus, so when we connect to Jesus' death on our behalf, and when we connect to Jesus uh, adopting us and, and willingness to put us in his kingdom forever, and we connect to that through faith, something changes, something happens. And so he says, look, there's no benefit in being uncircumcised or being, circum being, being circumcised or being uncircumcised. And this, he's writing to a Jewish audience. Circumcision was a religious action or, or ritual. And a lot of people said, hey, I'm good because I'm circumcised or, you know, I don't need to be circumcised. It's no big deal. I'm okay. And so Paul is saying, look, look, look th th that's not really the benefit. That's not the fruit of faith. Because you're, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, we might say baptized or not baptized, that, that, that's in, there's, there's some significance there, but he says, no, 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 your faith is gonna show up differently than in a religious ritual or a religious experience. He says what is important is faith expressing itself in love faith expressing itself in love. And so what happens and what Paul is expounding on is when we connect and put our faith in Jesus Christ, something happens, okay? And here, here, here's how the Old Testament describes that. So he says, look, I'm gonna give you a new heart. I'm literally gonna give you a new heart with new desires, new capacities, and I'm gonna put a new spirit in you, the Holy Spirit, we would say. So this is what happens when we put our faith in Christ, okay? Now, and this is gonna get us to love, so hold on with me for just a minute. So I'm gonna give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. So in other words, we're not gonna get love right if we have a stony, stubborn heart, if we have a heart untouched, unaffected by Christ, who will give us a new heart and put a new spirit 
in us. So let's look then at how does faith in Christ manifest, show up in love for other people so that we can now get love right. So let's talk about it this way. Faith in Christ progressively begins to diminish and take away self-focused fear, lust, or you may say greed, or guilt. And if you, if you zero in on all three of these things, all three of these things are barriers to getting love right. All three of these things, if these things are in our heart, <clears throat> then love, we can't get love right. So faith in Christ takes away fear, takes away lust, takes away guilt. So let's, let's look at them one at a time. What do we fear? We fear danger, we fear I won't get what I want when I want it, I won't have enough money to pay for it, you might get in my way. We fear that if I don't look out for number one, no one else will. When we become Christians and Christ followers, at the crux of what we're understanding in the gospel is God is for me in Christ. Is, is God did not save me to keep me in a spirit of fear. God saved me and showed me in Jesus' death for me that God is eternally for me, that God is eternally in love with me, that God has promised to work for those who belong to him, that God has promised that if he is for us, who can be against against us. And so the less I have to fear and worry and be consumed with taking care of me and myself and I, the more energy now that doesn't have to be focused on or dominated by differences, disputes, and disagreements, the more energy now that I can go and expend in loving you instead of fearing what you might do to me or, or even being consumed with what you did to me. So faith in Christ diminishes progressively, not instantaneously. We're moving in a new direction, not talking about perfection, but new direction. It diminishes self-focused fear, lust or greed. A lot of times we walk around in this world and we're like, man, I want to feel good. I need more money, greed. I, I, I'm lusting for that experience, that I'm lusting for that pleasure. I'm lusting for that car. I'm, I'm greedy for a bigger house. I, I need to save my money instead of give my money away to help people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so when we put our faith in Christ, one of the things that we're doing is we're beginning to understand that Jesus is our portion, Jesus is our prize, Jesus is our treasure and that Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. See, a lot of us have Jesus plus something and that's something we're lusting for. That's something we're greedy for. So Jesus plus money, Jesus plus a girlfriend, Jesus plus some sex, Jesus plus you know this, Jesus plus this car, Jesus plus this job, Jesus plus this promotion. And when you're focused on money, materialism, sex, and pleasure, and hedonism, guess what? It crowds out your ability to get love right. But in Christ, we're satisfied, or we will be satisfied eternally by him, by his presence, and by his love. Faith in Christ also takes out guilt. Let's be honest, a lot of us we are so introspective and we're so full of guilt and shame that when, when someone issues a call to love, which we're gonna do in a few minutes, when someone says, hey, I want you to serve in the church, people are like, oh, I can't do that because of what I've done or because of who I am. The cross 
takes away your guilt. Jesus takes away your past, who you were in the past, and says, no, you're a new you, new heart, new spirit, which gives you new capacities to love. A lot of times our solution to guilt is, well, at least I'm better than that person. Some people are so good at finding fault with other people. Why are you and I good at that? Why are you and I so good at finding the problem with you? It's, it's so we don't have to focus on the problem with me. Because if we focus on the problem with me, right, we're gonna feel guilty or we're gonna feel ashamed or we're gonna have to f- deal, deal with stuff we don't, we'd rather not deal with. So we camouflage it, we hide it in self-righteousness or fault-finding or slander or gossip. And that's just driven by guilt or a desire to feel better about myself without having to deal with myself. Faith in Christ, what does faith in Christ do? Takes away guilt, crucifies the old you, puts new heart, new spirit, and makes you and me a new you and a new me, and we can now focus on what? Getting love right. So faith in Christ takes out self-focus, fear, lust, and guilt. Faith in Christ also puts in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which is, he, he is a spirit of love. He is the spirit of Jesus. Jesus, who loved us first, most, best, and always. So when we're now dominated by the Holy Spirit or we, and we're not as dominated, as fixated on fear, lust, and guilt, then what happens? Now we have new energy, new capacity, new desires, and how do we spend it? Serving one another in love, getting love right. So, so think of it in terms of like an equation. Less of me, less about me, plus Christ in me through the Holy Spirit, Now, I'm not consumed with biting and devouring. I'm not focused, fixated, uh, dominated by disagreements, disputes, and differences. Now, I have energy, capacity, emphasis, focus to serve one another in love. Now, there's a second danger, right? Second danger is this. We can all be pretty good at finding a loophole where we can say, I don't really have to love this person or in this season or in this situation. We find a workaround where, eh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm not sure this really applies. Or, or I like this when we become love lawyers. We become lawyers and we can defend why we can't love other people the way Jesus has loved us, right? Am I, am I right? Because some of you, you know, you're sitting out there saying, Okay, when I lay that question, am I getting love right in my marriage? When I lay that question across my marriage, you don't know who I'm married to, Matt. And and maybe I don't. But what you're doing, though, is you are finding a loophole to work around and you're a lawyer for why you don't have to get love right in your marriage. And you could lay that over your small group and some of you are like, yeah, 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 but my small group, we just talk about news, weather, and sports. And and we like it that way. But are you getting love right? Yeah, but Matt, you don't know who I work for. Fair. But are you getting love right? Right? It sort of starts to what? Close the loopholes, blockade the workarounds, and leave us with really no excuse. But Paul, though, as you move into chapter six with him, he seems to know that we are gonna have this tendency to be less dominated by love 
and more dominated by differences, disagreements, and disputes. So look where he goes in verse one of chapter six, and it's really brilliant what he does, and it's really difficult what he says. Here's what he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, so if someone is just sinning, if someone is making mistake after mistake, they're overtaken, they're overcome. Not an oops, not a once, not a bad day, not a bad decision one time, but you know, a habitual, consistent, frequent wrongdoing. You who are spiritual, and that would mean for Paul, who are dominated by love. You who are spiritual, who are walking in, and the Holy Spirit is more often than not ruling you rather than your fear, your lust, your greed, or your guilt. You should restore, mend, repair, that's what that Greek word means, such a person with a gentle spirit, not a prideful spirit, not a haughty spirit, not a ha, caught you, ha, you're no good, but a restore someone with a gentle, humble, I love you spirit, watching out for yourselves, so don't get sucked into pride, sucked into sin with this person so that you also won't be tempted. So look what Paul does. He says, look, part of love is not only comforting someone who's going, <clears throat> excuse me, comforting someone who's in trouble. Part of love is confronting someone, a brother and sister, who's struggling with sin. Because, you know, isn't it true? A lot of us are like, no, 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 I'm all good with praying for the person who has COVID or, or taking a meal to the person who lost a loved one. I'm, I'm, I'm all good with that. I'm all good with praying for this person to have wisdom about should they take this job or should they take that job or should they stay the same? I'm all good with that. But no, 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 as soon as we get into the sin category, that's his problem. That's not my problem. That's his deal. That's not, that's not my deal. And then, and then Paul would say, well, then are you getting love right? Because let, let's just be honest, Okay. What can hurt us more, walking through cancer or living in sin? What, what can hurt us more, going through a recession where your income is impacted or your job is gone in the economy or going into a habitual sin pattern? I mean, G Jesus said this. He said, you and I should take sin so seriously that if our right hand causes a sin, we ought to cut it off. Now, he didn't mean that literally, but what he meant is sin is something to be taken seriously. And so I, here's my question, in our, especially in our marriages, our families, our small groups. Are we willing to go this way in the sake of love? And what he does in verse two, though, is he broadens it out. And he says, okay, this is an example of love. This is an example of this principle of love that he's gonna share next. And so in verse two, he, he goes out. So he goes real specific, and now he backs it away. He says, really what we're talking about is we wanna carry one another's burdens. We're burden carriers for each other. Not a single person that's listening to me right now doesn't have a burden. There's not a single person. And Paul says, hey, in the family of God, carry one another's burdens. Isn't that what the father did when he saw us on earth burdened and stuck in sin? He carried our burdens by sending his son. Isn't that what the son of God, Jesus Christ did? And he carried our burden by carrying our cross and dying our death to put his life through his spirit into us. So carry one another's burdens 
and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now I want you to see the unity and the, the, the power of scripture here. So Galatians 5.14 and Galatians 6.2. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love one another as yourself. So, so it's almost like Paul is doing this. The whole law, here we have the law. The whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love one another as yourself. Okay, Paul, 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 how do we do that? I mean, love is love, right? How do we do that? Oh, but I could get a loophole. No, no, no. So Paul says, I'm gonna close the loophole and I'm gonna show you how to get love right. So the law, the law is to love your neighbor and Paul says it looks like carrying one another's burdens, even the burdens of struggling with sin and of course the burdens of struggling with cancer, struggling with other illness, struggling with general adversity, struggling with economic uncertainty, whatever. We're just gonna carry one another's burdens. Okay, so I wanna take our question, are we getting love right? And we've laid this question over our churches, our marriages, we've laid it over our families, our small groups, our D groups, our home groups, whatever. We've laid that question over and we're wrestling with it and, we go, and I wanna take it just like Paul does and I wanna take it down to the level of burden. And I wanna ask, answer this question with another question. Whose burden am I carrying? Because a lot of people would just say, oh, I'm a loving person. Okay, then give me a name or names of whose burden you're carrying. And you can carry it a lot of ways. You can carry it through prayer, through serving. You can carry it through uh, running an errand. You can carry it through giving financial assistance. There's a lot of ways we can, you can carry it because you're gonna be their accountability partner to help them with their sin struggle. Whose burden am I carrying? And I could also flip it and say, okay, who's carrying burdens for you? Because it's mutual, right? It's like we said last week, sometimes we're Ruth, sometimes we're Naomi. So whose burden, and this is, the, this is the thing, okay? If we don't know names, then we may not be carrying anybody's burden but our own. And if other people don't know our burdens, then we're carrying our burdens alone. And that's not God's best. We're not getting love right then, and we're missing out. Now, to carry burdens, I, 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 think, I was thinking about this. I, was like, I said three things have to be present. I have to be willing, okay? Some of us are willing, we're just not available. We're hurried, and when we're hurried, we're not available. And we have to be aware. We have to make people aware of our burdens, and we have to be aware of their burdens. And when I think these things are present, then we become a burden carrier, a burden bearer, and other people are helping us with our burdens. So the best way I know of to begin to live this out and practice this and make this show up is to be in a small group. And, and we've been focused on that all week, all month, all, all this whole series. You can go to rockbridge.cc, find my group, and I just encourage you to do that. I, I also wanna share with all Rockbridgers and everybody that's listening, uh, three other ways that you may wanna jump in. Uh, we have pastoral care teams that really help people when they walk through sickness, when they walk through adversity, whether they're homebound, hospital-bound, dealing with a sickness, dealing with grief, a loss of a loved one. We have teams that just do that, and, and it's beautiful how it works, and, and these people really are burden carriers. We're, we're doing something. We've, we've started this during the COVID situation. We're just going to keep it going where a few times every year, we're gonna call or text or touch base personally in some way with all our members, all our bridge builders, all the folks who sort of call Rockbridge their church. We're just gonna call them and say, hey man, how you doing? 
How can we pray for you? Anything you need us to be aware of, anything we can serve you with and help you with. And so, you know, if, if I just said that and you're like, man, I'd like to be a part of something like that. Hey, just let uh, your campus pastor let us know and we'll be happy to help. Okay, connect you in that way. We've got a prayer team in all of our locations and, and we're trying to grow more prayer teams and, and enlist more people to pray, pray because there's no better way. Uh, to Once you really understand prayer, there's no really better way to be a burden bearer and to share your burdens and to carry others' burdens and to be a, a prayer team member and, or, be, or just know how to pray for people. So those are just three other handlebars. And then also, because we are Jesus's church, we have a collective corporate responsibility to bear the burdens our community's experiencing. So you may wanna get involved with hope, which is our way of locally loving our community and locally bearing the burdens of our community. Hope stands for, H stands for people who are hurting in our community. The O stands for outsiders to the faith, people who do not know how much Jesus loved them and what he did for them in the cross. The P stands for people who are just dealing with really extreme forms of poverty. The E stands for just educational partnerships that we believe there's a reason missionaries started schools and we just see so many kids in our community who are dealing with extreme poverty or issues in their, in their home. And so we wanna come alongside and, and help them through our educational partnerships. So be the hope.cc or again, have a conversation online, have a conversation in the lobby, uh, email, contact your campus pastors. And I just want us to imagine for just a second, okay? Uh, I just want us to imagine a what if, okay? What if we were so focused on getting love right and less focused on they and the disagreements and the differences and the disputes? What if we, Rockbridge, made the commitment to be the most loving we anyone could find? that any neighbor could ask for, that any coworker could hope for, and that any community could want. I think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church. I think this is what Paul had in mind when he said, love one another and carry one another's burdens. Let's be the church. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. I pray, God, you use this word to make us more like Jesus. I pray, God, you use this word to show people how much you love us because you carried our burden on the cross. And I pray, God, when that love invades our heart, that we are less fearful, less lustful, less consumed with guilt, and more consumed with you. And let that show up in how we love one another. Be glorified today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.